Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast. My name is Natalie Nahai, and in the second series, I'll be exploring our relationship with the living environment. These 10 intimate conversations will touch upon everything from psychology, sustainability, and human behavior, to political and economic systems, and the narratives we inhabit to make meaning of our place in this world. Join me each week as we explore these topics and more. And if you like the show, please do rate or review it as it helps to reach new ears. For additional resources and to find out more, visit natalinahai.com forward slash the hive podcast or tweet to me at natalinahai. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Hive Podcast. Today I have the pleasure to be speaking with Sarah Corbett, an award-winning activist, author and the founder of Craftivist Collective, a social enterprise providing products and services to help individuals, groups and organisations to do craftivism, which is a combination of craft and activism in the most effective way to help change systems, structures, hearts and mind. Sarah speaks with people around the world on how we might use quieter forms of activism to invite people to slow down and think more deeply about the issues they're facing, how to engage power holders in a more intimate way. And her TED talk, Activism Needs Introverts, was actually featured on TED's homepage in November 27 as one of their TED talks of the day, and it's since generated over 1 million views. Um, So this episode is quite special for me because I first met Sarah several years ago at a beautiful little event in Wales called the Do Lectures, where she spoke about her unique gentle protest approach to craftivism. And she captivated the whole room and the whole conference with her quietly radical approach. And her two books, A Little Book of Craftivism and How to Be a Craftivist, The Gentle Art the Art of Gentle Protest, have been widely popular and given the importance of active... Oh shit, I'm going to do that again. Her two books, A Little Book of Craftivism and... How to Be a Craftivist, The Art of Gentle Protest, have been wildly popular and given the importance of activism and participatory politics right at this moment, I wanted to invite her onto the show to share her insights and ideas about how we might join the conversation to make a positive impact, however quietly. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I want to dive in with... um, asking you to maybe share a story that you once told me about a beautiful interaction you had with one of your local MPs at the beginning of your craftivism journey. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's all a bit odd, really. It, sound, it was very logical in my head when I did it. <laughs> so it was a few years ago now, I moved into a new area of London. So I, had, I was in a new constituency, so I had a new MP. Um, and as you know, I've been an activist my whole life, really. So I you know, support lots of different charities and have signed up to lots of mailing lists. So I'd get lots of, you know, email petitions to send to your MP or Mm. postcards to send that would come through the post with different charity magazines. And, you know, I'd make sure I had time to do them if I agreed with them Um, and sort of thought nothing of it really and forgot that I'd moved into a new area and was just like, yep, yep, this makes sense. I agree with these issues. Um, And then I got an email back from my local MP's office from one of her staff members Mm. um, saying, please stop sending us these petitions. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of our time and it's a waste of charity's money. Um, which one I'd never received such an honest email <laughs> like that by a politician or their staff before. So yeah. it was quite a shock to the system. Um, it was really upsetting. You know, you mm. think I deeply care about these issues and your MP, you know, your member of parliament, parliament is there supposedly to represent you in parliament or, mm. you know, their constituents. Um Luckily, I didn't reply back to the email having a rant. Um, I decided to do the hoovering instead, which I think is always good when in a bad mood. Um, But I I thought about this and thought, well, hang on a minute. I haven't met her yet. I wonder why her office have sent me this email. Um, How am I going to reply? Because, you know, my mum's a local politician. I've worked with politicians before and since. And it can, if you work with them well, it can make a a big difference locally, nationally, Mm -hmm. 
and sometimes on international issues as well. So I didn't want to just think, okay, I'm going to, you know, write off my MP and there's a no point, no point contacting her. So while I was doing the Hoover and I was thinking, okay, if what I always do is try and put myself in their shoes and think, okay, so I know politicians are really busy with lots of demands. She's a new politician, so she might be overwhelmed by the amount of casework mm-hmm. and emails she gets in. Her staff are probably new as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably quite young, as most are in MPs' offices. And they're probably thinking, you know, we have very, it was quite clear through what I was sending that we had different political ideologies and a lot of the stuff she hadn't voted for. Um, So it was saying, you know, I disagree with you on a lot of things. And, you know, this was a few years ago when activism had a much, you know, had a bad name. Mm. It's very loaded and people are still quite nervous of the word activism, but maybe not so much now because it's more mainstream with celebrities and and different people saying they're an activist as well. Um, But I thought I need to show her that I'm not a scary, angry activist. I'm angry, but I'm not scary. And I genuinely want to see where we can work together where possible you know she could change my mind if she gives me more information I don't have and to sort of I thought it was a good chance to find a way to to meet her and say I'm that person (laughs) I'm nice and I might be actually quite useful for you for stuff we agree with and I wanted to challenge each other where we disagreed and then at the same time I had this little box of you know when you get those old boxes of handkerchiefs that are like Mm. three in a box that have got little flowers on you know (laughs) yeah And I got it from an old lady from church and I had it in my room thinking I'm going to give it to a charity shop because I have two hankies on rotation. So I didn't need it. Um, And then I immediately thought, oh, handkerchiefs, don't blow it. Um, You know, I thought of what a great metaphor that is to say, how do I show my MP that I genuinely care about these issues? I'm not a clicktivist or a slacktivist. And I'm also not a scary activist that won't listen to her. So Mm. what if I said on this handkerchief don't blow it use your power for good I know you've got a tough job but I want to encourage you in your role and here's a gift as a a little positive reminder to try your best um, and an excuse for me to meet her and show that I am a nice kind person (laughs) it's so creative so I just wrote with a biro in my neatest handwriting on the handkerchief a bit like it was a letter Um, I checked with my family who were really good sounding boards about the wording to make it non-violent language and encouraging and I just wrote, you know, dear, my MP, her name and MP at the end. I know being an MP is a, it's a big job and a tough job, but what an amazing opportunity you have as well to really improve our world locally and nationally and even internationally. And I want to encourage you in your role to not blow it. And I put don't blow it in capital letters, but the rest <laughs> is all all very carely um, soft fonts with and then I signed it yours in hope Sarah with my surname and my postcode and then I just backstitched over the top Um, and it took a number of hours it took me about four sessions to do on and off but it was great for me because it gave me time to think about what would I do if I was an MP Um, how am I gonna when I meet her how am I gonna give her this as a gift and not as a manipulation tool or throw it in Mm. face or something that is smorgan about me rather than about her it really gave me time to think more deeply and critically and calmly than ping off a quick email saying shame on you for not listening to your constituents and they so I emailed them saying I've made I've made Jane a gift <laughs> um, can I meet mm. a, a surgery because as a as a constituent they have to give you a slot um so of course politicians want a gift um <laughs> but they gave the earliest slot on a Saturday morning and I am not a morning person so I had to drag myself out of bed to go to the local library with this you know wibbly wobbly imperfect handkerchief that I'd stitched over the top of a message um clearly handmade and embarrassingly gave it to her and said I'm that person that's been emailing you um and I really care about these issues and I wanted to get to know you meet you and see where we can work together but also find out why we disagree um, and learn from that and she went from being you know extremely busy and very standoffish you know I think she'd be honest and say she was as well Mm -hmm. to suddenly getting this 
handkerchief that she immediately <laughs> looked at the back and looked at, you know, my messy knots where I tried <laughs> my hardest, but it wasn't as neat as it, it could be. Um, and her whole body language changed and she went from being, yeah, quite stern and cold to saying, oh my word, how long did that take you? Um, and we talked, she said that she had a cross-stitch um <laughs> piece that she'd been making for her best friend for a wedding present and it was coming up to the 10th anniversary of her her friend's wedding anniversary so we had a giggle about that and then it, it sort of opened up a space where I could say why did you become an MP Jane like what are you passionate about what are the issues you care about this is what I care about what do you do you agree with me do you disagree what do you think we could do about it so it really was a catalyst mm. Um, for a safe conversation with each other it showed respect it showed I cared enough that I'd spent hours making this gift for her rather than something flashy um, you know as a big display to give to her office with a big you know hoo-ha and it was very humble and quiet um, and we ended up doing some work together on different campaigns we agreed on where we disagreed I learned a lot from um, her position and some of the barriers um, of, of why she couldn't do certain things that she did agree with you know she trusted me when I said what do you really care about in the area um, and she talked very honestly about how FGM so female genital mutilation or cutting some people call mm -hmm. is was a big issue in the area I don't live in the area anymore but she said it's a really huge issue that she wasn't aware of because it's very underground and it wasn't in the media a lot at all um so I managed to say wow I didn't know that are you in touch with these two charities that I knew and she said that they wouldn't um, get back to her emails possibly because she was from a political party that they didn't agree with fully um, and I managed to get hold of those charities and said you know this is a big issue for us locally on the ground she cares deeply about it she could be a really strong ally especially in a in a political party you probably don't realize in but it was about a long-term relationship with my local MP and seeing where we could sort of make big and small changes um to me personally to her and and within our our roles yeah and I think one of the things that really strikes me about your story there's a few things I think that's just that really touched me um is kind of dialing down this expectation of confrontation. And you, you mentioned briefly this non-violent communication, choosing your words quietly and carefully to make sure that your your hope was what was apparent, um, so that you had some, some place to meet, something that you could construct and build together. You mentioned about the possibility that, that we do have to use these kinds of things to manipulate. Where do you find that line? Because I sometimes wonder if I'm kind to someone or suggestive to someone by supporting their strengths. I some, sometimes I sort of think, well, maybe I should just be really super blunt. Is this manipulation? Is this me just being friendly? And I, you know, knowing psychology, I second guess myself quite a lot because yeah. I always want to be erring on the side of what I would feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts about that on that fine line, I think? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I have to challenge a lot of, you know, I run the Craftivist Collective. So we have people all over the world taking part. And I have to challenge a lot of craftivist individuals and groups when they say we're going to make this big thing for our local MP or our representative um, in Congress or whoever. And I have to sort of in a loving way try and say, what are you trying to change? Are they the right person? Where can they help? And the gift you're giving them, is it really a gift? Or, you know, is it honest to say that it's more of a media stunt? Is it more of a display to get media attention? Or is it more of, you know, one, one of the many great strengths about craftivism is it's so visual and it's offline. So it actually really works well online. It's, you know, people really like sharing offline stuff online. And often people try and do all of it with one object. So, you know, I knew with my politician that I needed to build a relationship with her and show that I cared and I was, you know, respectful of her. So doing a very small, humble gift that I didn't share on social media, it was really important. So she then didn't see all over Twitter, look what I've gave my MP. You know, it was a very intimate thing that it wouldn't have been intimate if I'd told everyone about it beforehand you know took lots of pictures you know as soon as you give a gift to someone and then say can I have a photograph of you holding up the gift I've given you changes the whole dynamic so so everything's context by context you know I've, I did another project which was um when the G8 was hosted in the UK yeah. um and I did a big national project with Save the Children 
and it was about um, support and the aid budget, no point eight um, aid budget, which at the time the Conservative government were in power um, and David Cameron was hosting the, the G8. And that was was really to get politicians to support the North Point Aid budget. And my MP really cared about that, even though her local constituents and local party members, which, you know, if your local party members disagree with you as a politician, that's really quite scary if you lose local members. So because I built this, you know, critical friendship, we didn't agree a lot on lots of issues, mm. but we were critical friends. We had this friendship. Her office called me and said, we agree with the campaign you're doing. I need. We need to show that members of the, the constituency care about this issue too. Let's do a photo shoot with people who care about these issues. And we had these jigsaw pieces as a campaign about being a piece of the solution. So in that case, that was win-win of, yes, let's do a media stunt because this helps both of us. But with some with some things, I think you've got to be really honest. And mm. I mean, in my book, I and I try not to sound really hippie, but I do talk about you sort of know when you're getting a gift of whether this is more about the other person or if it's about you. Mm. You know, when people get a knitted jumper made by their grandmother, is it because their grandmother loves knitting and they want to give you a jumper? Or have they made you something with the colours that you love, with the pattern and the style that you love and really thought about you first and then made something bespoke that you'll love mm. you know we make gifts for power holders from board members to politicians to journalists and lots of different people and I talk about you know focus on what colors they love what fonts they you know use what hobbies they have you know look at are they a trustee of a particular organization on LinkedIn and that might show you what they're passionate about you know put a quote on your handkerchief around the idea of not blowing it, but being that person, you you know, be the change you want to see in the world, but have a quote from someone that you think they'll love, whether it's a musician, if they love music or, or a, you know, someone who's mm. really into gardening or something, don't pick something that you love because they might, it shows more about you than them. So, you know, all of my objects, I try and encourage people to use them as a tool, not a taskmaster, and use them to serve the cause rather than be about you, but also not about massaging their ego. You know, I really don't want to put people on pedestals or or say to people in positions of power, oh, only you can fix this. Please help us and really grovel. It's, it's about respect and respecting their position in power, mm. but treating them as a human being and you know we're all much cleverer than we think you know when you get that gut feeling of am I being manipulative you probably are <laughs> so I challenge yourself that and go okay well how can I make sure this isn't or do I need to change my strategy or do I just need to reframe how I give this to someone or do I need to do it anonymously sometimes and it sounds like it's also very much about being clear in one's intention yeah. for that piece so you know if you're doing something collaboratively to put it on display as a public piece, then that's going to involve a different approach than doing something for an intimate, quiet moment, which then gets used to serve some other aim that wasn't maybe there explicitly. Um, yeah, and, and the problem is we're all busy and we all want a quick fix. So often we want one thing that'll mm. tick all the boxes. But as soon as we try and tick all the boxes, we've actually diluted the impact that that craftivism object could have or you know any activism object I think we've got to be really clear on what's this for and how does it fit in the bigger picture you know when I worked for big NGOs I remember doing one campaign where we had giant um, engagement rings and we were saying to politicians you know we're proposing a, a climate um, law that we want you to sign so we had you know people go down on one knee and have this giant ring and it was great for media um, but it was very clear from the beginning um, I made it very clear when I was working for the charity that every politician we did it with we were very honest with them to say look this is for a, a good photo stunt for the local paper and then I'd say don't worry we're not going to leave you with this giant prop because we know you've got no room in your office <laughs> and it's probably a pain in the arse to have it and that actually really again showing them that we were thinking about them and their logistics of their tiny offices and their staff and not wanting to be a pain um it was an it was a great excuse actually having this giant prop to sort of 
show that respect and that empathy and compassion whilst also challenging a lot of them to sign this agreement that most of them didn't want to at the time so I think honesty actually is really helpful to say to people like this is quietly for you to keep in your pocket as a handkerchief to encourage you or this is a big display because we really need good images to gain more support from people across the country or with social media influencers or something so I think actually honesty is probably the best policy (laughs) and so I wonder sort of talking a little bit about some of your uh, work as a former professional campaigner and tying some of the learnings that you took away from that especially now in the context where we're looking at extinction rebellion and the climate strikes and this huge extraordinary um, international movement that's happening this activism movement Mm. Um, what are some of the most useful skills that you found you developed during your time as a professional campaigner you know maybe that you've seen people use in these sorts of protests demonstration and what are some of the things that you think people could benefit from hearing about that you that you know have worked for you oh it's a big question and (laughs) there's so many different answers for different contexts I'm always a broken wheel with everyone because I'm like context is everything what's the context so maybe let's start there yeah Um, how can people assess you know well what the context is and whether what questions might they start asking themselves about the context enables them to take the right sort of strategy that's going to be more appropriate or more useful yeah I mean I try and look at everything holistically so the first thing I always try and get people to start with which is actually really I mean I love learning about how the brain works so I read a lot on neuroscience and psychology and you know it really it really helps inform my work hugely Mm. um learning about how the brain works and how we engage in the senses so I look at a lot about what colors to use what fonts to use what textures how to engage two or more senses which makes it more memorable for for both the, the maker and the person who sees your activism Um, So all of that stuff, I think, is really important to just try and understand how people's brains work. Mm. Um, So we know that if you scream at people, we go straight into fight, flight or freeze mode. So whether we actually agree with people or we want to listen, our brain can't multitask. We go straight into closing off and survival. So actually, um, when we scream and shout... Again, that might be useful if we're trying to get media attention or have particular images. But if we're screaming at particular people that we want them to change their mind, that's not productive. Um, And for me, it's also I find it really unkind. I I don't want to scream at people because I don't want people screaming at me Mm. unless you know them really well. And, you, (laughs) you know, you know, I know with my brother that sometimes I just need to be like, can we just stop and talk about this? But I'm not screaming at him. I'm trying to change the situation for us to listen. Whereas I know if I scream at my dad, he'll just completely leave the room. So everyone engages with things differently because we've all got different personalities. But in general, yeah, if, as soon as you feel attacked, then we just close off to any form of change or even listening to each other. So I find that quite frustrating. Um, I think it's great with chants, you know, when people go on marches and they want to do big chants because it's really good for solidarity and for people to be part of a group if they're more extrovert and like that sort of thing. But we always need to start with what do we want rather than what we don't want. So what's the vision of the world we want um, on this particular issue? So say if it's climate change, which we're talking about now, um, what do we want the world to look like? So we want clean air. Therefore, we want clean energy if we want clean air. If we want soil to be healthy, then we need to figure out how to do that. As soon as we just focus on the problem of what we don't want, again, I mean, you can you can tell me if I'm wrong on this. Our brain just focuses <laughs> on the problem, gets worried about the problem and doesn't know how to look away from the problem. But if we look at the vision of what we want and really try and imagine it and not just what it looks like but what does it feel like what does it smell like what does it taste like what does it you know (laughs) all of those senses then our brains try and figure out how to get there sometimes even just in our subconscious without us realizing you know while you're asleep it's figuring out how to reach that goal of what you've what you're trying to to reach so I always tell people to start with what are you trying to get to and then work backwards so I think it's brilliant that extinction rebellion is happening 
it's a simple message with it's got three main points of what they're asking from the government um, and from different governments around the world. I think they could be stronger so that people are really clear um, because there's a lot of people who are against them saying, you know, I can't get into work on time or what are these young people doing who should be having jobs if they had their you know their three points much clearer of this is what we want rather than just what we don't want I think that might engage more people but I do think you know having people physically somewhere it's good media attention it's empowering for people it's um you know you're using your body so you you've got clear tasks you can do my concern with some of it is a lot of it is focusing on this is what we don't want the world is going to end <laughs> which we have mm-hmm. to acknowledge but for our own well-being as activists as well, if we if we're in this anxious state, if we're eco warriors rather than eco warriors, we can actually get our stress levels can make our health really bad. So it's not sustainable. And we only engage people who agree with us. Whereas I think we really need to make sure that we say to everyone, look, it's a no brainer that we fix climate change, because not only do we have to for the world's sake and the human race's sake, but this links to you know your your kids having clean clean air to breathe outside the schools or you know really make it relevant to people that's not party political and then with the the student strikes again similar for me is i think it's actually really powerful and it's a nice simple thing for people to do but i think while you strike again make it clear what change you want But also while you're striking, a strike is not doing something. And I think it's really worrying for people if they just sit at a a demonstration or, you know, don't go to school that day. It'd be much more empowering if it said while we're striking, we're also looking at what can our schools do in terms of changing their energy supply? What can we do in terms of the food that we get in our schools? What are we asking local businesses to do? So having that balance, we're against this but also having some practical, positive actions you can take to say what you're for and how people can join you in that. Um, I think we need that balance rather than just one or the other. Mm, I love this this idea of looking at the practicality of the things, the practical steps that people can take to build their visions. Um, and actually talking about the practical, it's also important to know why you're doing these things. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to ask about is this really wonderful, very I find very unusual manifesto that you have on the Craft of This website for making a difference in the world. Can you share some or all of the core values, depending on which you want, um, that, that you use you know, to base your approach in. It, I hadn't thought about it being quite unusual in the word, and, but it, it totally <laughs> is. Um, yeah, I came up with a manifesto after a few years of trying lots of craftivism. And, you know, we learn from mistakes, so honing my craft. And mm. um, so it links back to our, our first discussion about, you know, how do we know if we're manipulating people by giving them? Are these mm. gifts real or are they, you know, fake manipulation tools? So it's a bit of a checklist for people. Um, and it's 10 points and each of them has a title and then a little sentence underneath. So if I just pick out a couple, the first one says, be the tortoise. (laughs) So for me, (laughs) craftivism is a tool in the activism toolkit. So it's not to replace other forms of activism. You know, we still need marchers if they've got a clear um, strategy and accountability of what they're trying to change. Mm. We also need to do those online quick petitions, particularly when we need urgent action before certain votes. Um, But being the tortoise is is about craftivism is really good because craft's good to slow down. It's good. You can't do craft fast without not making a knot or or breaking your thread. Um, And the slowness really helps you go from despair or anger or sadness to helping your brain slow down quieten down and think more clearly and then actually think more critically and strategically so the first point is be the tortoise and it says breathe take it slow craftivism is about taking a thoughtful approach to mindful activism Mm. and then if I want to pick one other from the list it's really hard because all my little babies um but I guess uh, one that I think is particularly relevant at the moment is number three which is solidarity not sympathy and Mm. it's about preserving the dignity of others by showing solidarity with them in your craft or your activism and understand their struggles um so that you can understand the solutions activism is not about charity um i think for me it's 
I find it really important, you know, regardless of your background, but I grew up in a very low income area in the UK, in Everton, in Liverpool, in the 80s with huge inequality, very mm. high unemployment, really bad health rates. It's still one of the, the most deprived wards in the UK. And we have lots of people with big hearts wanting to you know fix the system and help poor people mm. and it was really horrible because they were looking at us as poor people mm. and some of the stuff they were doing came from a big heart but was not helpful so I remember as a kid in primary school my mum saying oh some people have dropped off shoes secondhand shoes if anyone wants to wear them and they drop them off to the youth club and there was no way anyone was going to wear them you know I remember as a like a seven-year-old thinking, hell no, I'll be bullied wearing secondhand clothes, secondhand shoes. Mm. And it was really undignified. And, you know, what we wanted was people to have jobs that were well-paid so they didn't have to have five jobs. We wanted, you know, people to to have the support they needed and the structures in place so that everyone could flourish. We didn't want secondhand shoes that no one had asked for and that just created more of a division, really, between the haves and the have-nots. So there's lots of points in there that, you know, are there to to gently nudge people in the right direction. And what's great with the manifesto is, yes, it's it's a bit weird, but WWF, so the Worldwide Wildlife Federation, not the wrestling. Um, <laughs> I did wonder for a second there. <laughs> um, I got an email from their head of campaigns a few months ago saying mm. they used the manifesto for a, a craftivism campaign they did in Spain. And they won the campaign to protect migrating birds oh. um, with a particular law that was put in place. And they used our 10-point manifesto and said it worked. That's so exciting. It's free on the website. Um, but it is yet yeah, a different way of doing activism, which sometimes is needed. Yeah. And one of the things that I find really interesting about you personally, but also in the way that you are active, is that you're quite an introvert and yet you're a leading voice on this global stage. You know, we talked about the TED Talk, but also you, you get invited to speak in all places around the world. And how, how has that been for you? How do you find or attempt to find, as many of us do, um, any sort of kind of balance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think anyone's balanced we all strive oh, gosh, for it, yeah. And we all make it um yeah I mean I'm, I'm quite an extreme introvert so mm. I only realized I was an introvert after I read the Susan Cain book Quiet mm. I don't know if you've read it but um and it's all about introversion I didn't know what introversion meant really um and but I'd always you know I grew up in an activist family my dad's still the local vicar in the area of Everton I grew up in my mum was a nurse and then a former now she's a politician um, and was a cabinet member and a mayoral lead and now she's deputy mayor so you know always grew up around activism we squatted in social housing at the top of our street when I was three um, and saved those campaigns and it was always part of you know, we campaigned on anti-apartheid, lots of different issues and um, went to South Africa when I was eight to learn about what they were doing there about apartheid. Oh, wow. So for me, I'm an activist and I, I know I do activism because it can work and it has worked. And, I, you know, that for me, my passion is how to make activism more effective and more inclusive for people. Mm. And for me, I only realized I was an introvert reading this book, but it was a huge like epiphany moment, you know, a moment of enlightenment because for decades, you know, I'd been thinking, why am I always so exhausted after mm. a march, after even just a campaign meeting? You know, I'd often be the secretary right in the minutes or I'd chair meetings. You know, I was really good at mobilizing people in my different jobs in campaigns, but it was always so exhausted and I'd have to I'd literally have to go home and sleep because I just couldn't stand up when everyone else seemed so energized um so it was it was actually a huge relief to sort of it's a bit like when people say you know they felt ill for years and then they finally get a diagnosis yeah. it was sort of similar <laughs> for me I was like oh this is why I'm tired you know introverts like being on their own and have deep thoughts they like deep conversations one-on-one mm. -on -one rather than hosting lots of people you know my sister's quite an extreme extrovert so we have these conversations all the time of where she gains energy where I lose it what we're both good at in different ways um and I did the TED talk you know activism needs introverts because the more I, I sort of how would you say it like 
admitted I was an introvert. Which... <laughs> it's like coming out. <laughs> it's like coming out, but not as scary, obviously. Um, but the more I admitted it, people were like, me too. And I was like, we've got different traits that are really helpful. Um, and activism, it's actually quite elitist in lots of ways. It's very stimulus. It's all about stimulus. It's all about getting lots of attention. It's about mobilizing loads of people together. And it was very driven by extroverts. So that was mm. normal. But, you know, a third to a half of the world are introverts. So one, we need to engage those people as activists, but also that probably means a third to a half of power holders and decision makers that we're trying to encourage to, to make mm. big decisions and change their mind as well. They're introverts, so they probably will close down with a lot of this loud, angry activism. Um, so for me, it's really important to say um, that activism needs introverts and we have different skills. It's difficult because I only set up the Craftivist Collective because people found online and friends were asking me what I was doing with this thing called Craftivism and then wanted to join in. And, you know, it's hard to say no to people if they want to join in. To <laughs> yeah. world. Um, even though I was like, I just want to do it on my own. Um, but there was a real need for people. So people online who I didn't know saying I'm a burnt out activist and I think this might help me be an activist in a more sustainable way. Mm. Or, I'm, you know, I get really anxious of people and um, confrontation. But this is something I feel like I can do. You know, it really reached people in lots of different ways, as well as people who love craft, you know. A real diverse audience so I felt like I sort of had to do it and then it's just grown over the last 10 years and I do travel a lot I try not to travel too much because of carbon emissions of course um, but I do yeah big talks big panels but I think people often see introverts as the same thing as shyness so I remember talking to John Ronson about this he was like I'm an introvert um, and he's actually not he's figured out he's an ambivert <laughs> Because shyness often is hand in hand with introverts, but introverts, is it's just about where you gain your energy, you know. So doing lots of talks, I still get really nervous. Um, but that's not about gaining or losing energy. That's just about being in front of a big crowd. Um, and I think, you know, for me, as I'm sure it's for you with this podcast, you see a need and you want to help people, you know, learn to be better global citizens and be more aware of how their brain works and how we can you know be good citizens on this planet and stewards that you know that sort of trumps anything that you think oh, I'm, I'm not going to do it um but it is yeah it's a tough one and as an introvert I get a huge amount of people online asking lots of questions <laughs> and I love replying to them and I love challenging people about their activism or craftivism strategies but it's also very draining so I'm trying to figure out a way of supporting people but also not burning out at the same time I think maybe you need a team of introverts extroverts ambiverts yeah. <laughs> but but talking about sort of drawing on on the community um I wonder if there's one story maybe that sticks out for you that, that a community member has shared about something that they that they did or that they made or that they gifted someone that that really touched you Oh, so many. I mean, what's amazing now, especially with the, the my big book that came out, um, what, a year and a half ago now, mm. I'm getting more and more people send me amazing long emails of how they've read the book and then taken part with some of our kits or pro mm. our free projects online and, you know, really sharing how they've changed their minds on stuff or how they've taken action that they'd never done before and now they've got confidence to to go on a march that they would have been scared to before or to have that difficult conversation with a family member or a friend about the xenophobia that they've just said or so I mean it's a mate what I love and it's a constant reminder of how there isn't one size fits all there isn't um you know a recipe for successful activism because we're all so different and we all interact with things differently mm. um which is frustrating because you, you know it makes activism really bloody hard work and can take years and decades to to change anything and then it can go backwards and you have to campaign again or you know it's a mess we live in a messy world and therefore activism is really hard to 
to make an impact. Um, but getting emails from people saying I've changed their minds or I've changed their habits or that they've seen activism in a new way that they can do um, is really amazing. And then, you know, having WWF contact me saying they've changed the law in Spain and with our help is just wonderful to know that, you know, birds migrating over Spain have got a bit of support with a <laughs> law in place to make sure that they, you know, get what yeah. they need. Um, and then one campaign in the UK managed to to go from 50,000 staff for one of the biggest retailers in the UK who were on minimum wage. Um, we got them an increase in their, their wages to be the living wage. Mm. So it's a real, it's really hard to pick one out of so many. You know, there's an amazing woman I talk about in the book who's a, a single mum in Sweden I was in Stockholm for five weeks doing an, an exhibition and, and workshops and stuff. Um, and she was very angry and she had really bad back pain. And she was a mum of a small child who was in primary school. I'm not going to guess the age, um, but, you know, young, young girl. And she was very angry about lots of the racism that was happening and really wanted to make these big stitched banners and was, you know, pretty negative and quite scary towards me she was a big woman and was quite scary um and she she ended up coming to one of my workshops after being she came to a talk and she was like nope don't agree with this I think we need to really say what needs to be said not being kind to these horrible people out there so I said okay how are you feeling and she said I'm exhausted this is all so awful what's happening. I'm seeing so much hatred. And I was like, well, do you want to fight hate with hate? And does that work? Mm. And I said, come along to a workshop. Bring your daughter if you have to. It'll be quiet. You can just sit in the corner and have a listen or you can have a go. But I know it sounds fluffy and weak, but come along and see what you think. Mm. It might help you just sustain yourself and, and find a, a better way for your own well-being and a more positive way to do stuff. So I tried not to be patronising. And, you know, good for her. She came along quite cynical. <laughs> um, but immediately you know, noticed she was sitting next to someone who worked in the Swedish embassy. Mm. So very different from her. And she would have said that the mum I was mentioning, you know, calls herself an anarchist. And she sat next to this person who worked at the embassy. Mm. And they had to share scissors because that's what happens in my workshop. <laughs> and, um, and she... The person who worked in the embassy couldn't thread their needle, so the anarchist helped, and they ended up having this quite quiet conversation about, well, what is an embassy, and what what do they actually mean? What's the point? Um, and then, you know, the person who worked for an embassy saying, well, tell me about why you believe in anarchy. And they had this very respectful conversation, mm -hmm. which straight away Jess was like, I never thought that would happen, <laughs> um, and she learned a lot. But also she started thinking about how she sent me a letter and I mentioned some of it in the book as a quote, which she was happy for me to share, saying that it really helped her think about how to be a good role model for her daughter. So she went from being, you know, demonising these these people who were being racist to actually trying to see the pain that they had and why they were reacting in this way and what was the best way to tackle it so that she didn't ignore the awful things they were doing, but she could find a way, whether it was through craft or whether it was through other forms of activism or just conversations and asking opening questions, you know, find out what she could do about this issue and what her daughter could do about the issue. So it's not often like quick quick responses that change things or it's not one answer it's again looking at the complexities of where people live and what influence we have in different ways and how to do things in a more sustainable way that is more effective as well you know I wouldn't I wouldn't do what I do I wouldn't do general protest if it didn't work mm. I do it because it's hard work but it, it does work so if you're going to give people just a seed of advice for getting started in activism or maybe a place that they could start their inquiry, what, what advice might that be? Oh, it's really hard. There's so many things. Um, I think for me, it's starting with practice what you preach before you preach it. Mm. <laughs> so often we say, we tell other people what to do, but if we're not doing it, it gives the person you're telling, it gives them an excuse to say, well, you're not doing it. Mm. So, you know, if you're wearing a... a jumper with a big logo of a very unethical company but you're telling companies to be more ethical then 
or to your telling customers to be more ethical, then that's quite hard yeah. for that customer to listen to you because you're not practicing what you preach. Or you acknowledge it and say, I can only afford this or it's secondhand, but these are the steps that I'm taking to be more ethical. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm there for asking you to see what's possible for you. So really or, modeling the behavior. Absolutely. And the same way that mm-hmm. I do it all the time when I talk to business leaders and politicians, when I say, you know, changing your energy supply is a huge thing we can do whether it's your building or whether it's your whole company um you know whether it's you as an individual it's often cheaper now than than um dirtier forms of energy and it's win-win you know i've changed my energy supply and it was super easy it's hard for people to ignore if you say i've done it and it wasn't as hard as i thought or I've done it and you know it's a bit of a pain to change my habit but we all know that after 10 weeks our habits change quicker or I think yeah figuring out what you want other people to do and then working backwards of how you can do it and if you you know lots of people on on a small budget can't change to to you know buying organic cotton bed sheets but they could write a letter to the company that they bought their bed sheets from and say, as a customer, I wish these were organic and fair trade. And I want you to tell the manager that because in the future, I really want to buy from you that's more ethical. Yeah. You know, so I think if you comes back to the first point about having that vision of what you want for the world and whether you're part of that solution or whether you're part of the problem. And if you're part of the problem, how can you then still make change? Mm-hmm. You know, I have an iPhone, um, which is part of a big problem. So I need to figure out um, what other phones I could get or what works better or other ways that I can, you know, there's always things that we can do well and do badly, but you just have to try. Yeah. So what would you say right now is your biggest concern for the future? <laughs> I think climate change yeah. is my big worry and um, that we're not, you know, top down is not working fast enough as it needs to um but for me my big concern within that is that we need to do activism better Mm. we're just creating bigger silos online and offline you know we need people who care about climate change to to not just stay in their silos of who agrees with them, but find ways to talk to people on their streets they've never spoken to and make it relevant to them. You know, talk to farmers and say, this might sound like we're saying that you can't do your job or it's going to cost you more money, but imagine if, you know, if this if you would be part of the solution. I, I read a book recently by Van Jones, who's an American journalist, mm. um, brilliant book and it's for republicans and democrats and it's sort of letters to both and one of his points which i think is a no-brainer and that can work in so many other ways is when he talks about how we need clean energy in america and it's that we know one of the fastest growing profitable um products that america's making and california especially are making huge amounts of money from it which is great but a lot of the people on the right will say, you know, coal miners losing their jobs, you're losing people in oil mines, you're, you you know, in oil, they're going to lose their jobs. Mm. And Van Jones says, hang on a minute, if we can get all this clean energy, all we have to do is prioritise people doing the old energy consumption who work in that industry and swap them over and be, you know, have (laughs) pro-discrimination in those roles and get HR involved. You know, I think we really need to say what we do want and how we can all be part of it. And what we don't want, we need to show everyone that they can, you know, this isn't going to cause them harm and this is you know something that we can all be part of regardless of our political ideologies regardless of what we might disagree on this is a huge issue that we've all got to come together on and and show to different people that this fits their context and is something that is relevant to them and can be a cheaper and healthier thing for everyone I feel like climate change is just an opportunity for us to change so much for the better. Yeah. So what vision are you working towards achieving? What, yeah, what what would that look like for you? Uh, What would my vision be? It Mm. would be that everything's clean energy. So renewable energies, ideally, um, that we all keep an eye out on on our neighbours and check that we're, you know, how everyone's doing. We learn how to listen to people we disagree with. 
Um, I used to think, I always think about, you know, what's the main reason for all this injustice and inequality in the world? And I used to think it was greed. And then I thought, maybe it's insecurity and we all are insecure. And now my thought is, I think we just all need to learn to be more emotionally intelligent. Mm, And we just, we're really lacking that. We're not taught it in school. We're not given time to think through, why am I feeling this way? What's the best way to respond to people? You know, I think that my vision of a better world is a happy, healthy, harmonious one where everyone's really emotionally intelligent. I love the sound of that. <laughs> it would be so nice. <laughs> Give people a bit of education in how to actually connect with others more thoughtfully. Yeah. Non-violent communication classes, um, you know, honing social skills. Well, we're learning more and more now about the issue of loneliness all mm. over the world. So, you know, I feel like emotional intelligence classes for us all would solve a lot of problems i think it'd be a great great place to start so given that context makes a big difference for for each and every one of us in terms of how we choose to engage with the topics that we're most concerned about um maybe this is going to be an unanswerable question but what single action would you suggest that people take today as individuals to build towards a more creative or resilient future Oh, my word. I mean, the problem is there isn't one one quick thing. There isn't one action people can take. Um, Might it be sitting quietly for 15 minutes and thinking about what action would yeah. be most serving to them? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I'm, I just finished a book by a brain surgeon, um, <laughs> which I loved, called Into the Magic Shop, which everyone should read, all you listeners should read that. Um, but actually, you know, he grew up in a, a really tough part of America in poverty with a um, alcoholic father and a suicidal mum, horrific stuff. Oh, yeah. And as a kid, he learned mindfulness and to sit and just look at a candle flame for a while. So maybe my, and it's something I really struggle with. So mm. maybe my answer would be, let's all yeah, light a candle and look at the flame for five minutes so our brains can just stop thinking, which then actually helps us think more clearly and remember things more easily and help us with that emotional intelligence so maybe five minutes of looking at the the flickering flame that sounds wonderful I'm gonna nick that one I'm gonna go I, know, and do, I that. Might do that tonight <laughs> sounds good that's our uh, evenings mapped out well um Sarah thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me I'm gonna list a bunch of different things that people can explore and investigate if they want to find out more about you I'm gonna post the link to your fantastic video activism needs introverts in the show notes um and in terms of social you've got lots of different places people can find you is there one in particular that you prefer over the others i'll list all of them um in in the post that goes along with that well i like twitter and instagram for different reasons so um yeah if you look at craftivists on twitter or instagram you'll see what we're up to lovely and if people want to check out your website it's craftivist hyphen collective.com and i'll also be linking to your two wonderful books a little book of craftivism and how to be a craftivist the art of gentle protest um sarah thank you so much for spending this time with me i've really enjoyed talking with you oh it was a pleasure thanks for having me thank you for listening to the hive podcast with me natalie nahai to find out more about today's guest and the topics we explored you can visit the show notes page at natalienahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please do give it a rating and you can join in the conversation with the hashtag Hive Podcast. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode. Bye.